There are now tens of thousands of pieces of literature relating to COVID-19. Some peer-reviewed, some not. Some very high quality, some slightly sketchy. We really need someone to be able to read it all for us, grade it, tell us in simple terms what it means, and help us understand it. Enter the COVID-19 Literature Surveillance Team. All in today's show. I'm Rob Lawrence, and this is EMS One Stop. So really welcome to another edition of uh, EMS One Stop Extra. And today we're going to stay informed, we're going to read less, and we're going to do more. And I'm talking to the team that put together the COVID-19 Literature Surveillance Team, or LST, to use their cool in parlance. Today my guests are Dr. Will Smith. Dr. Smith is the Medical Director for the Grand Teton National Park, uh, Teton County Search and Rescue, Jackson Hole Fire and EMS, uh, Clinical Assistant Professor at the University of Washington School of Medicine, and a Colonel in the Medical Corps in the US Army Reserves who has deployed far and wide. And uh, thank you for your service, Will. Also joined by uh, medical student Jasmine Ra who is a medical student at the University of Washington uh, School of Medicine. Guys, welcome to this uh, EMS One Stop Extra. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So we're going to talk about your COVID-19 literature surveillance team. And for full disclosure, uh, Will Smith and I have been on a federal task force twice a week for the last year. And I only cottoned on to the fact that you guys have been doing this last week. And it blew me away so much that I immediately had to write about it. And here we are talking about it. Don't hide all of your good work uh, so deeply, Will, next time. I'll try not to, but uh, like we know, kind of finding the single source of truth for this COVID pandemic has been difficult. Looking for the right information, the right presentation, and getting it out there. So really appreciate you uh, chatting with us today. Before we get into the uh, the, the questions and the answers, uh, let's take a second just to listen to my full-length narration of the article, Stay Informed, Read Less, Do More, tools to evaluate research. It was just about a year ago that I discussed the thoughts of Dr. Michael Ryan of the World Health Organization about information, disinformation, and how we must subscribe to the facts. As we have seen, SARS-CoV-2, or COVID-19, has caused the development of facts, pseudoscience, rumor, conjecture, and political finger-pointing. Also, as with any new virus or outbreak, the proliferation of clinical trials, studies and papers are coming forward on almost a daily basis. As we don't have all the time to read everything and sort the wheat from the chaff, a volunteer organisation called the COVID-19 Literature Surveillance Team has been doing it all for us. The amount of COVID-19 research out there is staggering. In the first five months of 2020, more than 10,000 papers were published regarding COVID-19. This is more than twice the number of publications on influenza or malaria in the entire year of 2019. Many of these articles could be described as researchers offering their studies, desperate to share the findings in the hopes of helping others. However, many articles covering the same topic and many of poor quality highlighted the need for assistance in passing through the data, especially during the time of crisis, to develop situational awareness. 
In other words, there's a lot to sift through to distinguish the signal from the noise. Literature Surveillance Team co-founder Will Smith, MD, sets the scene. Early on in the pandemic, working with some medical students from the University of Washington, the University of Arizona, and a few other places, they got pulled off their clinical rotations and asked what they could do to help. So, just looking at the initial literature that was coming out, they started looking through the literature with myself as an advisor and started looking at the level of evidence and put together the COVID-19 Literature Surveillance Team, or LST, and they're producing products five days a week still. With the need to share information quickly to combat COVID-19, many leading medical journals suspended their peer-review processes, meaning more people had access to more information more rapidly. But that also created the content with minimal pre-publication critique. The COVID-19 LST cut through the noise to get doctors and healthcare workers on the front lines the scientifically sound information they need to save lives. The University of Washington School of Medicine third-year medical student and LST co-founder Jasmine Ra acts as CEO and heads up the 50-plus strong group of volunteer physicians, medical students and other PhDs. The LST's concept is to enable providers to stay informed, read less and do more. To achieve this, Ra noted that the team reviews selected papers based on their novelty, relevance and potential to change public health policy or management. The process requires them to read the study and then grade its level of evidence using the Oxford Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine Levels of Medicine, a 1 through 5 grade assessment, and provide a summary using the bottom line upfront method, the bluff method. The product of the analysis is then published online at the website www.covid19lst.org via their Twitter site at COVID19LST and even via a weekly podcast presented by Smith and Ra, available both on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. The team's recent analysis of academic output has assessed everything from the effectiveness of the canine ability to detect COVID-19 through trends in US alcohol consumption frequency during the first wave of SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, which was conducted by Columbia University in New York and Monash University in Australia, to the South African cabin crew health and fitness to fly opportunities for re-evaluation amid COVID-19. To answer that first burning question, a trained sniffer dog in the trial could detect COVID-19 in human sweat 80 to 100% of the time in a controlled environment, but doubt was expressed whether the real world and its competing odours would impact the high level of confidence. The COVID literature surveillance team initially created to inform clinical decision making has now grown to become a guide to policymakers, various agencies of government, researchers, students and laypersons. Part of the growth has recently seen the addition of an indexing system and it's also become a 501c3 not-for-profit organisation to take donations as well as find patrons to financially support the ongoing operation. This move allows the LST to continue to conduct the very important role of screening and summarising evidence in an unbiased manner. Looking to a future beyond COVID-19, following the COVID-19 LST's mission to empower truth seekers with tools to evaluate science, the team plans to continue their process for other topics with clinical significance in the future.
That was my view. As always, I'd love to hear your views in the comments section at ems1.com where the article first appeared. So, Will Smith and Jasmine Ra, what a fantastic uh, programme you've got running. But uh, I mentioned it in the article, but what I really want to know is who bugged who to start this programme off? I think Jasmine was the real brainchild behind this. Being the early portion of the pandemic, everybody was unsure exactly kind of what people should be doing. And I think medical students got a little bit of a uh, blunt kind of uh, pulled off all their clinical clerkships. And so she was definitely interested in seeing what she could do to help and definitely looking at all the articles coming out on a daily basis. Uh, for me, working kind of with the uh, Army Reserve, getting activated actually to help with the uh, Army EMS office and the Office of the Surgeon General, we uh, basically kind of came up with a plan to look at all the articles that were coming out and and grade them. So Jasmine, uh, have you ever read so much in your life? No, not really. <laughs> um, especially during the early phases of the pandemic, um, Will, uh, I, you know, I don't know who needled who. I think it was really a collaborative experience. Um, we were on the phone together and we we're just talking about how hard it was. At the time, I was trying to work on this project that was kind of delivering supplies to people with COVID in downtown Seattle who were quarantining inside their homes. And there was just no evidence on, is there fomite transmission? How long should we wait? What amount of time is good? Or it was just when we were trying to figure out how to do no contact drops. So, I mean, we were doing the reading and it just, none of it really added up, which was exactly what Will was telling me. And so that's kind of how all the all of this started. That's actually an excellent segue into my next question. So you take you're taking all the research that's coming out, and uh, I think when I first read it, there was something like twenty thousand. Do we have a number of where we are now with the amount of publications, research, reviews, peer or non or otherwise that are out there right now? You know, I'm not sure, but I know every day when I look at the number of publications on COVID, just the search term COVID. Um, we get about 300 publications daily. Research in EMS, I'm delighted to say, is on the up. But uh, perhaps folk need just to understand in the work that you guys are doing, you are giving all this stuff a grade. You're not only reading it, but you're giving it a grade. So for, for those listening, particularly, you know, on the truck, it's uh, late at night, they need to, you know, have something to perhaps Google and look up. But uh, explain how you grade these papers that you read. What we use is what's called the Oct- Oxford Center for Evidence-Based Medicine, they're, they have a working group that published a level of evidence kind of guideline or chart. And what we do is we grade the level of evidence, um, either level one, two, three, four, or five, one being the best level of evidence, five being the worst, well, not necessarily the worst, but not quite um, good level of evidence to use for clinical thing. And it's all on what the question of the article is. So, you know, depending on is the question trying to figure out, try to figure out how common the problem is, is, is it about a diagnostic test? Is it about um, prognosis or treatment benefits? So depending on that, we look at, you know, how did they collect their sample? Is it a retrospective review or is it a cross-sectional? Um, is it a local sample? Is it consecutive studies or is it case studies? And then we just follow their guidelines to rate the level of evidence and then will not only are they doing that but they're also then giving us a paragraph almost of description which really helps us uh, understand without reading any deeper if we don't want to 
Yeah, absolutely. And so the uh, old military acronym bluff or bottom line up front, and that's really something we pulled together. Again, there's so much stuff out there. So really taking a look and that's what's just been amazing with the medical students and the other people that we've had. We've really been able to teach them how to read these articles, pull out the important points, figure out if this is an article that we should really pay a big amount of attention to and actually extrapolate some of the details, or is this just pretty much kind of uh, less important information, um, whether or not it's kind of uh, applicable to our situation and being on some of the American Heart Association subcommittees, doing some of those guidelines over the times, there's all sorts of different ways to look at articles. And so I think that's the big thing that uh, it's just been amazing to watch the medical students be able to gobble up all these articles and then spit out useful information to be able to digest. And again, that bluff, kind of the daily summary that we put out and then the podcast that we've been doing as well for people that have even less time in five to 10 minutes a day um, to really catch the, the big highlights. That's excellent. And as you know, I, I too am an old, uh, an old soldier. And I used to work for a two-star general as a staff officer. And the bluff process works a treat because I knew damn well if I didn't put a summary on the front page, he wouldn't go any further and read it. Everybody is just in that situation with COVID and especially early on, but we continue to be in the same problem where there's just so much information that's coming out. And so really the project was meant to, for Jasmine helping me initially on, and then we recruited more med students. And now um, we've been going at it for almost a, a year. Year. And it's just amazing the amount of information that we've been able to put out and then work with some other people to actually create a database so we can actually now have searchable information. So if you want to know how COVID affected OBGYN patients or how it affect certain other treatment, like uh, uh, whether or not we should have been given hydroxychloroquine or some of the others, those uh, treatment modalities that have come along, um, the, the website that we've got, the uh, www.covid19lst.org, um, you can actually go and do some searching on there now, really looking at the specific topics that you may be most interested in. That's fantastic. Let's just go back half a step, though. You mentioned the team, and obviously it's not just you two. I've noticed from the website, there's a lot of you out there. Not only are you, uh, you know, majority uh, jobbing, you know, medical students and some uh, PhDs, etc., but also you've got roles within the organization. So Jasmine, you're acting in the, in the capacity as the CEO. So who else have you got doing the, doing the roles and, and how many people are on staff now doing this? Uh, currently, we have about um, 45 really committed volunteers who are helping with us. So um, kind of on the LST nonprofit side, we have Will, of course, with the direction. Um, and then we have Justin Doroshenko, who is our operations. So he does kind of manages the day-to-day -day ins and outs. We have Famana Nijhath, who is an incredible um, powerhouse of a woman who helps us with logistics and make sure that everything gets done at the right time. Um, we have an incredible podcast um, uh, podcast producer, Sarah, who manages the podcast for us and some other folks like Sydney who manages our media. So we have a ton of, and then that's on top of, you know, our 40 some volunteers who go through our literature on a daily basis, our editors, and then our senior editors, and then our chief editors who make sure that it all gets done. Oh, and I forgot to mention the most important, <laughs> Brennan Enright, who helps us train all of our um, contributors. Excellent. They all deserve that superb shout out that you just gave them. So, uh, and again, kudos to you all. In terms of the products, uh, Will, you mentioned the website, the uh, and COVID19lst.org. Uh, you can see folk on Twitter. 
but the product you're putting out on a daily basis, there is a, there is a, or every other day, or you know, depending on the frequency, but you're putting out some really good stuff uh, on a daily or every other day basis. And uh, just explain how that all kind of works and, and the, the way that you've laid it out. Yeah, we've really tried to make it the most user-friendly for whoever needs the information. So whether or not that's uh, somebody working clinically on the front lines, whether or not that's a researcher. So we've really tried to, like you said, and we discussed the, the bluff or the bottom line up front. So we've got an executive summary and then a PDF that comes out that you can sign up for. So it's delivered to your inbox every morning. Initially, we were trying to do every day. We've backed it down to, to five days a week. And uh, again, it's just trying to get that right information into the right hands. And then you're also uh, podcasting, the both of you too. You're also the, uh, you're the hosts of your own show. Yeah, we've uh, learned how to do podcasts along the way as well. And so I think we've all learned different things over the, the time of the pandemic. Uh, we've uh, now switched to instead of daily to uh, uh, once a week, again, just uh, trying to optimize that information and everybody's time and just really getting those uh, the pieces of information out there to the people that need it. So in terms of the, the, the content that you reviewed so far, Obviously, there are some big issues out there in the media. Some of these issues are political. Some of these issues are the subject of uh, information and disinformation. Uh, and so it's, it's good that you guys are doing all of this kind of, you know, re revealing the, the daily truth almost. But uh, in terms of the research you've read, let's talk about, you know, vaccines uh, and vaccine efficacy. So what are the sort of top studies that you've seen so far that are emerging? Kind of, a, I think that's a really good point and something that's really important to talk about. Um, you know, at the very early days, there wasn't a lot, but you know, now there's a lot of evidence, especially on the BioNTech Zero vaccine. Um, just on just within the last week alone, there has been maybe six articles, three or four published in JAMA that were really good at looking just how long after the second dose we got um, antibody responses and how. Um, long they could last. Um, and on top of that, kind of the risk benefit ratio of how many getting local or systemic um, side effects versus how many um, of them were at high risk of developing severe COVID-19. More and more information becomes available. And as more of that information is real researched, trustworthy and published um, in, you know, very, you know, peer reviewed um, journals, we're hoping that it will help people um, get or get over the vaccine hesitancy. Right. Um, mutations. That's the 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 in word at the moment is uh, we're about to be taken over by the mutants, and uh, you know I'm sure CDC are looking into this. But uh, has that started to emerge yet in terms of the research and people really getting into the the UK, the Brazilian, the South African, pick a country uh, strains of this? Yeah, I think we're just starting to see those come out. Um, I, I think early on kind of in the pandemic, there was a lot of articles being published that really weren't peer to view viewed, just trying to get everything out there. Um, I think that's kind of backed off a little bit now. So the articles and information that are coming through are that little bit higher grade in evidence. Um, but I think we're still just at the tip of the iceberg learning about these new things. I think we'll probably still be learning in the next five, 10 plus years about everything that's going on. Uh, the new strains and things are coming out. I mean, th that's kind of the, the next question, kind of are the vaccines going to be efficacious against those? And I think that's kind of where we still are going to be continuing to, to scratch and claw as much evidence as we can and then putting all that together. One shout out I do want to make it though, is that there was a study maybe I think last month that looked at the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine and showed that it 
the people who got the vaccine created antibodies where provided neutralization against the, um, the British mutant. So um, there's hope that this vaccine might be able to cover us for both of these strains. Um, hopefully it won't outsmart us soon. <laughs> And, and of course, that's the question that's on all journalists, politicians, and in fact, you know, members of the public's mind, or will one shot cover all, you know, evils? Is it going to be, you think, from what you're reading, like the flu vaccine, where we're going to have to have, because we do know things change, even with flu, there are mutations and there are changes. Do you think this is going to be a yearly event now, just getting your top up booster? I think there's probably a pretty good possibility of that. I mean, the, uh, the infectious disease world is so intriguing. It's like, why didn't the first SARS and why didn't uh, MERS and why didn't those other kind of earlier strain of coronaviruses really take off and make a worldwide pandemic like this? This was definitely novel. Um, so again, those are all great questions. I, I think the the pandemic nature of this specific virus is, is, is probably going to require some of that kind of ongoing kind of vaccination. And again, kind of all that vaccination history from smallpox, kind of on through polio, it's definitely made a big impact. And, and so I think uh, uh, the researchers, the amount of time and technology that we've been able to use to just sequence the genome of the, the SARS-CoV-2, uh, being able to create the, the newer type of vaccines, the, the mRNA vaccines, I think... Uh, we're just much more better prepared for whatever the next problem is, whether or not it's ongoing uh, SARS-CoV-2 or whether or not it's the next emerging infectious disease. So even Dr. Fauci will tell us that, you know, we've got six months worth of the research because it's six to 12 months old and that's it. And so, you know, we're, we're obviously learning as we're going. But are we seeing anything on the side or after effects? Because we're now starting to get into what uh, people are terming the long haulers. And I noticed in the news there were even children that now have these kind of long haul effects. Uh, stuff coming out. And, uh, and this is probably really new because you have to have it in order to be a long hauler. But uh, what's uh, what's out there right now? Um, yeah, this has been such a, a crazy piece. You know, not only you have the the first, um, you know, the and how you respond to the infection, these people who then have these kind of long-ending consequences. Problem is, though, we don't have very good data on what these people like or what kind of symptomology they had prior to their infection. So respiratory symptoms, depression, um, and kind of things like that were not well documented prior to their infection. And then those people who have been infected, some of them, it's really hard to know exactly when did they have their infection? Did they have asymptomatic disease? So it's really, it's been really hard, I think, for researchers to quantify exactly how many people are long hauler, even define a long hauler. Like right now, we don't really have definitions for even, you know, who has COVID-19 and asymptomatic disease. So I think it's going to be really tricky throughout what the long-standing effect of having that infection will be. Let's think about the future just to, to kind of wind up. And uh, Will, you are now, uh, by part of this process, a 501c3 for the organization. Yeah, so we've been able to just look at how to keep this organization, keep it sustained, keep it moving forward, and hopefully continue to use it as a model to how to train medical students to evaluate literature, how to be able to make this part of their medical training and career. And so the uh, the organization that we've created with the 51 c 3 
allows for donations, allows for some of the ongoing infrastructure of the group, uh, some of the other kind of components to hopefully keep this going for the, for the long haul and kind of kind of pun intended with the, the COVID topic we were just talking about. But yeah, definitely on the website, there's the ability to, uh, to do donations. And again, not looking to make a profit, but really looking to sustain this information, this uh, gathering process, this uh, uh, ability to get it out to the end user, whether or not, uh, like we were talking about before, whether or not that's kind of the, the clinical uh, provider on the front line, maybe this is researchers, maybe it's other uh, decision makers. And again, just get them the best information that they can. The future. So is it just going to be a COVID only uh, LST or have you got bigger plans? Well, we started out as the COVID-19 LST but what Will and I learned was that we very quickly developed, I mean, we developed the system that was able to, you know, at one point bring together like 120 people and out daily literature reviews, like 200 papers on the on a daily basis. Our nonprofit that we founded is just called Literature Surveillance Team so that in the future, if there were ever a need for literature surveillance, we have that knowledge we wanted to prove it so that we could apply it to, um, I hope not, but if the need arise to future pandemic. I hope this uh, project, this team, uh, this 501c3, this initiative uh, has uh, a long future because clearly you've uh, just, in, you're onto something here. And obviously the way that you're presenting it, the way that you're grading it is giving us some credible believable uh, information with which to base at the policy level decisions at the research level you know decisions over what which which study we're going to quote and use and so i think this is a as a fantastic initiative and uh, i'd like to thank you both very very much for for a joining me uh, and b more importantly for uh, for starting this off how can we uh, get in touch with you guys so yeah so uh, definitely the uh, covid-19 lst kind of webpage, but uh, certainly I've also do kind of other independent consulting with uh, uh, wildernessdoc.com. So W-I-L-D-E-R-N-E-S-S-D-O-C.com and uh, at willmd911 is the Twitter handle. Um, I could be reached at contact at covid19.org. Um, we love hearing, a, you know, any feedback or if you really like what we do, like that's really what keeps us going. So we love hearing from you guys. And so if you want to give feedback, you're also on Twitter. So what's the Twitter handle? At COVID19LST. Follow them, like them, uh, retweet them, and give them some comments for the excellent work they're doing. Guys, again, thank you very much indeed. Uh, That was uh, how to stay informed, how to read less, and how to do more. Uh, As always, you can keep up with me on Twitter at UKRobL1, or just find me on LinkedIn. As I said before, we'd love to hear your comments in the comments section at ems one Thank you to uh, Jasmine Ra and uh, Will Smith. I've, as always, been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now. Oh, and just before I go, if you're listening on the SoundCloud, just hang on for one second, because following right up is Chris and Kelly with another great edition of Inside EMS. (laughs) 